Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of XP Gains. My name is McThane, and I'm here with my sensei and co-host, Mr. Silverstrike. And this time, we're going to be tying up the last of our janitor's waltz. So this is just us finishing off our What We Love About Video Games series with genres that we don't play as often, but they capture our attention once every now and again, and we really feel that they're worth talking about. They're definitely something we enjoy, but it's something that we haven't gotten as much into or we don't play as often. So this time we're going to be talking about roguelikes, platformers, and storylikes. Uh, roguelikes being things like lots of RNG, lots of choice-based gameplay, and when you die, you have to start again from scratch. Platformers, probably not too much to say about that, but we're talking about Hollow Knight, Rayman, Mario, of course, from, you know, video game legend, and many, many other games, as well as story-likes, which are your games with a strong narrative focus, your walking simulators and your interactive movies like Life is Strange or Heavy Rain, um, various other games like that. So if you've been with us from the beginning for our What We Love About Video Games series or even further back, we want to thank you very much for listening up until this point. You finally reached the end of the series. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> so have I forgotten to mention anything, Mr. Silverstrike? No, that's everything. Um, let's start the final part of the janitor's waltz. Take it away. See you on the flip side, boys. Explosions. All right, so I kind of feel like where we should start is platformers and action adventure. So these are games like Rayman. Mario probably gave birth to the genre. And then more recently, of course, we have God of War has recently brought attention to that. And some other niche titles like Hollow Knight. Uh, our mutual friend, Mr. Jeers, is a huge fan of that game. And I have to say that his, his uh, I don't know, enthusiasm for it uh, actually gave me the, the impetus to check out the soundtrack, which is superb. You can find it several places on YouTube. A lot of people have just basically copied it over, but it's a really, really excellent soundtrack, and I've, I've been enjoying that. So um, yes. what games would you say that you have enjoyed in the platformer or action-adventure subgenre? That's a good question. Well, I've, I've played a lot more action-adventure than I've played pure platformers. Okay, so where would you draw the line then? Well, the, like God of War. The new God of War I would not really call a platformer at all, because for the most part there's no platforms um so do any of the god of war games have platforms um well the first the first three games have um, i i want to say there's some uh world traversal that's sometimes difficult that you need to do so i would say it's kind of platformer ish the first game especially i remember having certain climbing sections and stuff with uh Lots of insta-death um, stuff happening. So you would have to climb a, a, a mountain. And then there's like these just dangerous traps flying out of the mountain and stuff. And you have to be careful not to get squashed or sawed into. Those, yeah, definitely when you go back and play the game today, that is just a pain in the butt to, uh, to get past. And they're also, they just instantly kill you. Well, InstaDeath in general has seen a real decline in video games since the old days. I mean, I think nowadays it's probably regarded really as like one of the golden rules of of gaming is that you do not insta-kill the player. I remember uh, watching the documentary on how they developed the, the alien movie where you're kind of, or the alien movie, the alien game where they're kind of sneaking around 
and you have to avoid the alien and so on and so forth. And they, they said one of the design decisions we made was to break that rule that you can instantly die to the alien. And they, they treated that as though it was a big deal, which kind of shows how things have developed over the years. But, um, yeah. Okay. So you can you can die instantly in God yeah. War. Sorry, got in, a bit in the first there. in the first three <laughs> games. Anyway, the the new the, first three. the okay. new game, which is essentially God of War four slash a God of War reboot, but it's not really a reboot because it's the same character, so it's more God of War four. Um, but it's mm-hmm. it's more of a reboot in terms of gameplay. It's totally different. It's also far less of a hack and slash game than it used to be. Uh, it's like God of War and Dark Souls. And the last of us all had a baby together and then God of War came out. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> it's got some really pretty difficult combat. Um, it gets easier as you move through the game, as you become more powerful. Uh, it's got some really good narrative uh, points. So in that regard, like the last of us did a really good job. And then, uh, it's of course God of War, so there's Kratos, there's mythological references and stuff. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's different, but it's uh, really good. If I haven't mentioned that mm-hmm. already, no, no. I mean, generally speaking, the consensus on the game seems to be. I, I have not heard anything negative about it on the whole. You mentioned Mr. Jeers. I did. When you said he really likes Hollow Knight. He also really enjoys Darksiders. He's one of the biggest proponents of that series. And there's a, there's a new um, game in the series coming out, the third one, right? Um, sometime soon. I don't know exactly when, but I actually have not played those games except for the demo of the first game. I played the demo of the first game, and I thought it was fun. So I am kind of looking forward to just diving in and uh, playing the other games so yeah sounds good man well yeah i don't know i played the i played the first and the second one i basically got the second the darksiders 2 game of the year edition i think um after our friend jeers recommended it to me and i really enjoyed the second one i had a hard time going back to the first one i remember uh jeers being uh really excited about the setting in the first one how it was in this like ruined city but then there are these kind of mythological characters running around with all these powers and stuff and that sounds really cool as a concept but i feel i wouldn't say that the game has aged badly per se but it took me back to the games that i was playing when i was about 15 and Mm -hmm. immediately triggered all those memories and i just thought uh, just in the sense that there were some very linear sequences where you had to climb from wall to wall to wall to wall to wall and all of those things. And where I remember games, I remember playing games in which I did that very fondly, like Rayman is one example of those. But that was at the time. I wouldn't choose to go back and play a game like that now. So for me, Darksiders 1, I could definitely see I could see the roots that the series had put down in in that. I could see the foundation. And yeah, I did like it for what it was worth. But I just, it felt a bit clunky to me to go back and play in 2017, uh, which was when I played it. However, I jumped in and played Darksiders 2 last year as well. And I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, it was it was very good once I felt that it was a little bit more modern and the, the combat was really smooth, really fluid, kind of interesting because you have that that playoff between two different weapons. You you have your main weapon, which is unique to your character, but you also have a secondary that you can choose for yourself and various other customizations you can make over the course of the game. 
And I felt that the combat was very fun, very rewarding. Uh, the environments were absolutely beautiful. Uh, really interesting uh, kind of pastel shaded art style. Not cell shaded, but just kind of pastel colors, but without making it really, really cartoony. Um, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I really liked it. Really liked it. Well, the first Darksiders is fairly old. Uh, so you can definitely like feel the age of the game when you play it, I, I presume. I played the mm -hmm. demo when it came out. So in 2010. So yes. Yeah. So quite a while ago. Quite a while ago. The sequel came out in 2012. So that's only two years, a two year difference. Yeah, but I mean, we you can't underestimate the fact that it was the first game in the series as well. And so technologically, it just isn't going to be as developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, you just wouldn't have the same budget for it. Once it had proven itself, of course, you're going to have a far a far better time. Um, although I have to say that it is one of those few games that I, I would say was far better in the sequel than it was in the original. Right. Just my personal opinion. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's how I feel about it. I think that's the consensus in general. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of surprising that there's a third game at all when you think about it, because THQ, um, you know, stopped existing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a few years ago, and then uh, mm -hmm. it was revived, and uh, Darksiders was revived as a franchise, and they started working on it again. So yeah, what what precipitated the whole downfall of THQ? I never understood that because I I played so many uh, games from THQ when I was younger I and really just, enjoyed them. I think they just got bankrupt. Really? I don't know exactly. Let's see here. Uh yeah, so THQ filed for bankruptcy in in 2013. And then Nordic Games acquired mm -hmm. all the properties and then they uh started calling themselves THQ Nordic in 2016. Okay, that's interesting. But THQ the American company which apparently oh it, it comes from Toy Headquarters. I did not know that. That's what THQ meant. Um stopped existing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So when you talk about THQ you're kind of thinking about THQ Nordic. Yeah, maybe. What what about stuff like um uh what was it called? The game where you could like destroy everything. Red Faction. Was that THQ Nordic or? No, I think it was just THQ. Yeah, that was THQ back then. Red Faction, yes. Mhm. Mm Internally created games like Darksiders, D-Blob, Destroy All Humans, MX versus ATV, Red Faction and the Saints Row series among others. Kind of surprising. Saints Row was pretty popular as well for a while. And they also had a bunch of exclusive long-term licensing agreements with sports and entertainment content creators such as Disney, DreamWorks, Nickelodeon, Pixar and WWE. Interesting. Yeah. And yet they still managed to go under. Impressive. Yeah. Just goes to show, man. No one's immortal. <laughs> yeah. I was actually watching that documentary that you um, recommended from Noclip mm -hmm. about um, Warframe the other day. Yes. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I knew that the studio was in trouble when they w released Warframe in its first version, but I didn't realize that they were literally going under. Yep. Yep. That was uh... really close. I mean, funnily enough, I actually knew the game was coming out before, well, you know, kind of on my own. I didn't find out about it from the marketing push that they did. Yeah. I uh, I actually discovered it through, I want to say some gaming publication. It was even before the, you know, the famed video that they mention in the in the documentary mm -hmm. talking about where uh, Total Biscuit picked it up and did a review of it. It was even before that. 
I was aware of it. Um, I think my brother-in-law actually bought one of the founders packs. That was way back in the day, but yeah, there it is. Time passes. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very um, interesting to see how they, how they eventually like they got the formula right, and they mm-hmm. did the right things, and then they got eyes on it through the right people, especially Total yeah. Biscuit. See, I think a lot of its success was definitely marketing and the fact that they put it on Steam, and then after Steam, everything just exploded. But the the thing that really gets me about this is the way this was something that really made me aware of how things are in the industry and how crazy it is when they said, oh, you know, your your protagonist is too feminine. Can we give him an eye patch? Yeah. Or they would see that it was sci-fi and they would just immediately say, no. nobody loves sci-fi yeah. and literally walk out the door. And you're like, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't. You think it's not possible to make a game with this art that will be successful because you re- realize that the sci-fi theme is art. That's that's all it is. I freaking love sci-fi. There's not enough sci-fi games coming out. Do you know what the problem is, though? Um, a lot of people, I think a lot of people like sci-fi as a theme or as a genre, but nobody seems to be able to agree on what sci-fi should be. This is, I think, one of the reasons why Star Wars has captured so many people's imagination, because it doesn't really focus on the tech. The tech is just there. It just exists. It's just part of the world. And the real focus is on the kind of supernatural elements like the Jedi and the Sith. And there's this kind of greater concept, and it really has this amazing story, and it has a great musical score. It has all the things that that touch us emotionally. It has the people. Um and I think a lot of the times where sci-fi falls apart is when people say, oh, but there's all this cool tech. And it's like, well, yeah, that's interesting and all, but that doesn't really capture your imagination. That's a classic mistake. You you need a very strong story and then the backdrop can be anything. But if you have strong characters and mm-hmm. a strong lore that isn't you trying to ram the lore down the player's throat, like, oh, come on, look at this. We got all this cool shit in this galaxy. Like, just give us the human connection and have us explore and then you get really good science fiction games. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, that that's it really. Science fiction is just a theme. Yeah. So ultimately. Bethesda announced that they're working on a next-gen title that is going to be a space game. Or set in, set in space anyway. So it's going to be a um, single-player focused so like their other franchises like the Elder Scrolls and like Fallout games, it's going to be single player oriented um, in space. And it's something that they've been talking about apparently for 10 years uh, at the studios. So um, we will be hearing more in the, in the next few years. So uh, that's something that sounds really cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'm... I'm very much I'm very much of the opinion these days that I'm going to wait and see though. Yeah, definitely, but when you hear that this is this it was an interview with Todd Howard and he said basically we've been we've been thinking about this game. I've been thinking about this game for 10-15 years. And that makes me think that's good. And it also means that you are not trying to push out a game that the tech isn't ready for. Because that's one of the things that I I do kind of respect about uh, Bethesda Softworks and the studios and Todd Howard because he very clearly stated a few years ago after Skyrim was released that the tech wasn't there for a next gen or like for the next Elder Scrolls game to come out. Mm-hmm. At this E3, they said, 
we're working on it. It's going to be a next gen title. It's it's in pre production, so there's not a lot of people working on it yet. But like, it's going to happen. Basically, is what they said. But if you look at the time frame, there's um, a general rumor. Um, well, it's not really a rumor. It's kind of been confirmed by the by the Sony team. Is that specifically PlayStation 4 is entering its last few years? So the the block is supposedly three years, and after three years, they want to release the next console. So next gen means that at least three years from now, they will be releasing this new space game, and then after that, the new Elder Scrolls game that they announced. So knowing that, you know. Knowing how how much technology changes in three four years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just I, I look very much forward to seeing where the technology is then, because I remember seeing a, a tech demo a few months ago I think, where they showed um, real time reflections and dynamic light sources uh, that are physics based, and they demoed a Star Wars scene. They needed like four thousand dollar gtx titan cards to power the demo at like 25 frames per second but it was like beautiful and realistic and um i think our minds are gonna keep getting blown so to speak as the technology advances and uh we're very close to um i well i think we're kind of our kind of halfway past the 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 creepy factor for faces. What do we? What's the other word for this again? The uncanny valley. The uncanny valley. Yeah. So we're kind of past that in some ways. I think so, like God of War twenty eighteen, Detroit become human. Some of the faces look fantastic. It's it's almost lifelike. Mm-hmm. You can tell it's not perfect yet, but give it a few years and we will have really beautiful tech and. Uh, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> Pretty sure about yeah. that. No, I'd say no. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I'm looking forward to see where where VR goes as well in the next several years because I think that's going to mm. be that's going to be very interesting to see the progression on that. Because I think um, unlike when VR came out, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, yeah, I think we have the technology to do it convincingly now where we didn't before. And so I think it might actually reach the point where it becomes approachable to the average end user now where it didn't before. And once we can do stuff like that, yes. And we can create these hyper real environments. If you're putting screens on your eyes, there is a a kind of soft limit to how much resolution you can really need. Whereas there's not really a limit for how much resolution you could have on a computer monitor because you can have multiple monitors. You could fill a whole room so there's no real hard cap on that, but there is a hard cap when you get to something like goggles. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, yeah. So at that point, you get to a point where, where it's kind of max resolution, and then you can only show more with that resolution. And I'm really looking forward to once we hit that point. Yeah, at a certain point, the density also becomes an issue. Uh, that's the problem with VR today is the pixels are too big still. Well, yeah, but I mean, LED technology is here to stay, and it's definitely moving on yeah. all the time. And the smaller we can make so. them, the better. And then we need just the biggest problem is pushing the pixels because high resolution displays uh, require a lot of GPU horsepower. But mm-hmm. um, you know, 
if our AI overlords haven't destroyed all of us in 10 years, I'm sure we'll be there. <laughs> so, yeah, of uh, course. Well, that's always a given in our conversations, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we can't talk about waiting for the, the VR overlords or the AI overlords to destroy us. <laughs> Otherwise, we would never bother having any conversations. So yes, live for today, people. Exactly. So the reason why we are stalling for time, dear listeners, is because we don't have much to say about the specific genres that we're covering this episode. Our I don't know. I mean, you say, you say we're stalling for time, but I do feel like we're covering a variety of interesting topics in general, and yes. I don't feel that we're dwelling too long on them. So. No, no, it's true. It's true. But I just wanted to put it out there. Yeah, whatever. I mean, we could we could just call this the, yeah, we could call this the lobby chat episode. The <laughs> realistically. lobby chat episode. Well, I would definitely listen to this while I was doing my laundry. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like I've got anything better to do. Um, but anyway, okay. So yeah, jumping back into the genres that we were originally going to talk about for, for what I wanted to say, I'll get this out of the way and then we're done. Um, I just basically wanted to say, I've got a lot of really great memories from Rayman two back in the day. That was probably the first platformer I spent a long time playing and boy, did I spend a long time playing it. It was a game that I think I completed like six or seven times, had a great time doing it, found all the collectibles, did everything there was to do in that game. And uh, then when Rayman 3 came out, I was nothing but disappointed because they had gone back to the much older style of like throwing out your fists and you had to do a one-two as opposed to being able to throw out endless orbs of energy that you could upgrade over the course of ga over the game and they, they would bounce around and you'd be able to angle them around to hit things. And yeah, I just felt like uh, Rayman 2 was a really great game. I loved the the concept of the robo pirates as an enemy, and I was I was kind of sad to see that go. But yeah, had a really really good time playing that game, um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, so not a lot of things we have to say about this particular genre. No. Um, okay, so roguelikes. Yes. So this is uh, FTL, Faster Than Light, Dungeon of the Endless, Sunless Sea, uh, maybe to a slightly tweaky, weird extent, cultist simulator and uh into the breach yes so yeah we've got several different options there why don't you take this one away man what have you played in this genre what did you like what did you not like i've played two games in this genre i'm not a big roguelike guy i like my progression permanent roguelikes generally speaking do not have permanent progression because if i'm understanding this correctly if you're playing a roguelike game if your character dies, it's game over and you got to start yeah. over from scratch. Yeah, that is generally the defining feature of a roguelike. So as the guy who likes permanent progression, I, I don't like putting in a certain amount of hours and then just losing all of that because I made a stupid mistake. Or RNG screwed you. Or RNG screwed me. Which brings me to FTL, Faster Than Light. Okay. So I don't know if you're familiar with this game, but Faster Than Light is a pixel art game, and you are the person who is piloting or more like micromanaging the occupants of a ship. I don't know if you've ever played something like Space Traders or something like that. Well, I, yeah, I have the benefit of having looked at FTL several times. Um, I have not played it, but I know there's a an acquaintance, kind of like a friendly acquaintance, I guess I would call him, um, that I used to know. 
And he spent many, many, many hours. Yes. He was the kind of person who always got into these really technical games, and he spent a long time playing it. So I would imagine it's quite good. FTL is a is an excellent, wonderful game. It's not my kind of game, but I did play it for a certain amount of hours. I must have played it for, I think, less than 10 hours. I did not even get past the first... I didn't get to beat the level with the first ship. So there's a bunch of ships that you unlock, okay? Uh, and if you beat the game with a particular ship, you move on to the next size of ship, basically. So you get a bigger ship uh, every time you complete a run successfully. Um, so there's up to, I think, I don't know, six, seven, eight. I don't know exactly how many ships, but you, you unlock a certain amount of ships. So are the ships, are the, do they give you increasing handicaps or increasing advantages? Or what is the significance of progressing through these ships? As far as I can tell, um, because the ships are bigger, there's more people to micromanage, uh, which mm, makes it easier and harder at the same time. So it's harder to micromanage, but it's easier to get things done because you have more crew members who can man the guns or repair or whatever. Um, so there's a few kind of elements that... Um, are important in this game. So you fly through a bunch of sectors. So you have to decide where you want to go next. Uh, after each encounter, you basically have a bunch of encounters and an encounter can be just about anything. There's sometimes it's little events that pop up and you have to make a decision which ends either poorly or really well for you or somewhere in the middle, of course. Um, sometimes there's pirates, so you have to fight other ships. And if you do that, there's um, a real-time system that actually, uh, it's, a, it's yeah, it's real-time that passes by. So you have to order your guys around the ship, and if your shields get shot, um, you might get some hull breaches. You have to go get, get, you know, get those repaired. You have to make sure life support stays online. Um and stuff like and that. And none of this is turn-based, so it's not easy for you so to manage. So it's all real-time. However, there is a pause button, so you can give commands while paused. Ah, okay, yeah. See, I really like this format because it doesn't have that slowness of the traditional turn-based. Um, if you want to go through things quickly, you can very easily, but at the same time, if you have just a lot of things to manage simultaneously, you don't end up in a situation where hand-eye coordination becomes the defining factor of whether you pass or fail. It, it still kind of is once you unpause the game, <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh, so are there a, limits to way. how much you can pause? or? Well, no, but it's sometimes stuff happens really quickly, so you need to be constantly on guard and pause efficiently, because if you don't, things can go south really quickly. Okay, that's fair enough. But FTL is a but fun game, and it's really cheap too, so pick it up if you mm -hmm. if you haven't already. I think there's a demo too you can play, I'm not sure. But I think there is. Hmm. Anyway, uh, you should go pick it up. It's uh, definitely worth the money at any price below. I want to say fifteen bucks or something. And I don't think it's uh, it's that price anymore. I think I I don't even think it was that expensive to begin with. So give it a look. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So how many how many hours would you say you get out of this? Well, it depends. On average. If if you want to go and beat the game and see much of what there is to see in this game. You can you can play this game a hundred and hundred and fifty hundreds of hours basically, right? So if you want right, to, right? Okay, so yeah, that's consistent with what I saw my uh, my my friend uh, playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, he um, never seemed to be off of Steam in those days. Yeah, it's available on Steam. It's also available on mobile. You can get it on iPad. I know. I know. Uh, if well, if it's still on the App Store, um, if it hasn't been purged because they haven't updated it, but. Um, 
Yeah, FTL is a fun game. Uh, it works well on tablets too because it um, it translates nicely as you're giving commands from like an overhead view. Um, oh, okay. So right. it's cool. From the makers of FTL, there's the other roguelike game that I've played, and I've only played this one for half an hour or 40 minutes, so I am not really knowing what I'm talking about <laughs> in this particular case. <laughs> okay. So, Well, at least you're honest. Um if you if you've played through the through the tutorial, congratulations, you've played more of the game than I have. But but from what I've played, it's pretty fun. So the idea behind Into the Breach is that there's aliens attacking your city. And Oh no. Oh no. And well there's a grid basically, uh, a square grid, and you have a bunch of units and you have to knock the aliens out of the places that they're currently in in order to save buildings. So right, okay. what happens is the, the, the game starts. You get to deploy or you start with a few units deployed uh, and there's aliens on the map and there's buildings on the map. And what you see is what the aliens will be doing the next turn. So you know alien A is going to attack northwards and he's going to shoot a laser missile or whatever. So you know, in a straight line, two tiles to the north is going to get hit. And when the mission starts, that's where the building is. So you have to knock that alien away so that when it does the does fire its missile or whatever, that it, it, will, does, hit it, will, it will not hit the building. So it will hit either something else or another alien or whatever. So... A lot of the vehicles, oh, okay. there's a lot of different vehicles. So you have to kind of learn what each vehicle does and then find out the proper strategy to beat each level. Um, and the further you get in a campaign, the better, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I knew this was made by the FTL devs. And I said, man, you know, FTL was such, like, I didn't play it for a lot of hours, but I played it for like 10 hours or so. And I thought, man, this is a good game. And I'd like to support developers, especially if they're not asking too crazy of a price of their game. I think um, mm -hmm. Into the Breach is 15 euros or something, I want to sure. say. Anyway, uh, not too expensive. Uh, so I said, man, I'm going to get this game and I'm going to get around to playing it one day. And I played the intro the day I purchased it. And I thought, man, this is great. I'm, I'm going to get back to this. But I think at the time I was too busy playing uh, God of War. Or it, what, maybe it was even before God of War. Anyway, I was busy with other games at the time. I think you actually discovered Into the Breach when we were recording either our previous episode or the one before that. So I think that would have been during God of War or possibly just after. Actually, let me take a look when I bought it. Into the Breach. I last played this in April, the 14th of April, so it's quite possible. Yeah, that, that was slightly before God of War released, I think. Anyway, so Into the Breach, good game. Sure. <laughs> Very nice. It's fun. And yes, it's roguelike, but it's not, it's, it's not frustratingly roguelike. Yeah, so here's, here's my question then. With FTL and, uh, you said you've also played Into the Breach uh, just now, but yes. with FTL, you said that there was this unlocking of additional ships, and I'm guessing that once you've unlocked these ships, you don't lose that. You don't have to no, complete no, multiple no, no, playthroughs no, no, no. No. So, you know, back to back and then lose your progress, but do you lose your progress with each ship 
independently. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's it's roguelike, but it has it has a certain amount of locked or a permanent progression in it. Yes. Yes. There definitely right. Is. Okay. So and would you say that there's an element of that in Into the Breach as well? Uh, yes. And from what form from does that From what take? I remember, yes. Uh, so your best, uh, I, th- I think it is this case. Actually, let me verify this for a moment. Let me launch the game. But from what I understand mm-hmm. uh, is that the squads um, that you have uh, are, of course, reset. But some of the attributes that your squad members gained during previous playthroughs are either inherited or something like that. This, uh, yeah, that actually reminds me very much of the way Sunless Sea works. That's a game that I was playing a while ago and never, I completed, I think, two playthroughs, um, both of which lasted actually a surprisingly long time. I was not expecting to survive as long as I did, but then I made one stupid mistake and ended up in a death spiral, um, and didn't really have the heart to go back and, and do it again on the second one. And I think, um, I died relatively early on the second one, having discovered a lot of useful information and always intended to go back for a third playthrough, but never did. Um, but the thing that I liked about Sunless Sea is that when your your captain dies, you're the captain of a ship, and when uh, when your captain dies, you can choose to leave one thing behind that you had from your previous playthrough. So there's a kind of legacy system, which, yeah, which I think is really good because it means that the more you know and the more you've learned and the more you've you've gained not only can you leave behind something that's more valuable but also you know what is of more practical value to your next captain as well so i feel like every every iteration is a learning process which i felt is is very good and although there is plenty of rng in sunless sea for different events and different things like that it is much more about intelligent risk management i found the only criticism I would have of the game is how much time you spend very, very slowly progressing across the sea. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Sunless Sea, the um, the concept is essentially that you're in this uh, ocean deep underground. I won't uh, spoil any of the story, but you are in a, a deep underground ocean and you are sailing around in your boat, essentially just exploring or doing work as a sailor or a captain on this ocean. And so you visit different islands and these different islands will have different random events that you can undergo. You can take things from place to place, um, not just for, for cargo to sell, but also for different events. You can take passengers, you can do various other different things. And the whole thing is surviving to learn about this world and to enjoy the experience of discovering all the cool lore and the neat story and everything else. And it's a it's a very immersive game, despite being a top down, very low res. Um, well, I say very low res. You can have it any resolution you like, but the the graphical fidelity is not exactly what I'd call impressive. But nonetheless, the game itself is uh, actually excellent, despite a few niggling issues about statuses and things like that. Like when you have when when certain conditions about your captain change, they have a very confusing way of telling you this because they have this thing like. Um, you have gained status, um, uneventful sea day or something. And you're like, okay, so did I gain anything? Or does that just mean that the day has been uneventful or did, did I, do I have something in my inventory now or do I not? So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of weird. And inventory management is a huge part of the game because your, your boat has a very limited inventory. So, um, that's, that's one of the things about it, but yeah, really, really weird world and really a joy to explore it. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, 
But one of the things that I liked about that was the fact that your any progress that you do make, you can always leave a little bit of something behind for your next playthrough, which I thought was good. Okay, yeah. So I just looked at Into the Breach, and the way that this system works is you have both a time traveler, which is kind of your protagonist leader character. Um, and like the ships in FTL, there's a bunch of different pilots that you can unlock, and those are your time traveler. Um, and then there's a bunch of uh, just uh, units that you use as the main squad through the game uh, that, that are called the Rift Walkers uh, in, 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 for the starters. Those are the very first mechs you can use. And as you proceed, you can unlock other different groups of mechs, like the Rustling Hulks, the Zenith Guard, the Blitzkrieg, the Steel Jadoka, and the Flame Behemoths, and stuff like that. So uh, pretty, pretty cool. So are sounding. these are these like classes of mechs that you can get? So they're like each one of these categories is each one of these a category, or is it a specific mech? So all of it's a squad. So all of those are squads. So there's three uh mechs in each squad and they're all unique so you get a unique group of mechs um the the ones that start out have the easiest to learn mechanics and from what i understand the the farther you move into the story the the more um stuff you unlock the better the mechs get but the more difficult they become to kind of oh yeah grasp their mechanics right okay so well, that makes sense so if you do multiple playthroughs, it's not as, I don't want to use the word boring to describe FTL because it's not boring, <laughs> right? There's always something going yeah. on, but there's a bigger differentiation when it comes to the mechanics of the game. So getting a bunch of new mechs, AKA the new squad is going to totally change the way you play the game uh, as opposed to okay, we're in a ship, it's slightly bigger, we have better weapons, we start out with weapons or whatever, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's different. Yeah, that sounds kind of um, sounds kind of like the other game that I wanted to mention from this category, which is actually Dungeon of the Endless. Um, this one actually is an interesting one because Sunless Sea, I got interested in not really because it was a roguelike, but because I loved the vision of the world that was presented there and the drama and the mystery. And so it's almost an accident that I enjoyed it as a roguelike game because I enjoyed the world and the exploration and the discovery aspects. Um, and if you're <laughs> in any way curious about our perspective on that kind of, you know, element of gaming, that's right there in, I think our second episode, which is our, our first one in this series when we talked about exploration and discovery. So you can go and check out that episode to hear more about that kind of thing. I won't talk too much about it here, but um, that was kind of an accidental discovery. Whereas Dungeon of the Endless, I looked at it and I thought, this is a roguelike, but I really like the look of the mechanics in this game. It looks really interesting. So Dungeon of the Endless is themed around the idea that you um, begin in a starship and you crash. But instead of crashing onto the surface of a, of a planet, you've crashed into the Dungeon of the Endless. And you're deep, deep, deep underground, and your goal is to get back to the surface. So you start off in your ship deep underground, crashing into this dungeon, and you have to get back up to the surface. And the way that you do this is by um, essentially opening up different doors in this dungeon, facing whatever comes out of that door and whatever events that triggers. And then you have to move the power core from your ship 
into the elevator when you eventually find it in order to move up to the next floor, at which point the whole thing repeats and the goal is for you to get up to the surface. But the interesting thing about this is that there are aspects of, uh, I guess I would call it tower defense in there because each room has the opportunity for defenses or different resources that you can build in there. Um, each one has a chance of giving you different resources and other benefits or potentially being just full of enemies with almost nothing you can do of, of benefit in there. So it's a constant question of risk versus reward. And along the way, you also find additional, um, characters. I wouldn't really call them heroes, but they all have different special abilities and various other things. So yeah, like every, every playthrough is kind of different and interesting. Um, I would say that I found the game a little bit frustrating after a while because you feel sometimes where you've, you've done a really good playthrough and you've gotten quite far along and then, and again, this is the lecture that every, every roguelike player <laughs> gives you when you say this. And I said this about XCOM in our previous episode. Oh, it's all about risk management. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's a certain like minimum amount of risk you can take and you get to the point where you haven't gained enough resources from this level for it to be in any way possible for you to move on. And you just have to keep opening doors until you find something. And eventually you end up with hordes and hordes and hordes of enemies coming after you. So there just is no practicable way for you to progress. Uh, so I, I did find that a little bit frustrating, but for people who enjoy the genre in general, I would say there's a huge breadth and depth of mechanics for you to get into. And it's a really interesting game. So yeah, I still have not seen the ending, but um, much like your progression system in FTL or what you were talking about with um, different play styles, you can also with, by achieving different, um, kind of milestones or unlocking different achievements with each playthrough, mm -hmm. you can unlock new ships and the new ships will give you different properties and different advantages and disadvantages and so on. Yeah. And so in the same way as you were just talking about with Into the Breach, it changes your play style from playthrough to playthrough. Yeah. As long as you're able to unlock them, which I have not been able to. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's hence my frustration. But, you know, there it is anyway. So I, I found the game interesting. So I think we both agree that these kind of games are interesting but they're not specifically the kind of thing we enjoy the most right no not really um again they catch my attention every now and again this is why we're doing the janitor's waltz these are things that yes. you know kind of rake us in every now and again but they yeah they're not i wouldn't say they're a main staple in our gaming diet no so yeah that's pretty much roguelikes um so Having covered platformers, having covered roguelikes, yeah. those are our two quick ones, quote unquote, quote unquote, quick <laughs> which ones. we've ended up talking quite a lot, a long time about, especially in the case of roguelikes. But um, what do you have to say about story likes? Um, yeah, so story likes are games with a strong narrative focus, and um, I really like good stories, man. I really do. Um, I know some people say, you know, some of these games are very pretentious, or they're trying to, you know, be super obvious about stuff. Cough, cough, um, life is strange, cough, cough. <laughs> you know, that's a frequent criticism of David Cage games as well. So David Cage, the guy behind, uh, the director behind the most Quantic Dream games like um, Heavy Rain and, of course, the fairly recent Detroit Become Human as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when you play the game, you can't really say some of the themes are, you know, very muted. You have to say some of these themes are, you know, like they really laid on top what the story is about and you either love it 
or you hate it. And I kind of enjoy these games um, because they're 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 basically interactive movies. They're not really a game because what if you look at Heavy Rain or Detroit from a gameplay perspective, it's basically one big quick time event the entire yeah. game. And mm-hmm. if that is not your thing, stay away. <laughs> but um, if you play for the story, then these games do offer you, uh, you know, just that uh, compelling, interesting story. Uh, and sometimes it gets a little crazy too. But yeah, uh, I want to go into detail. But first, let me uh, handle the walking simulators. Um, you have played this game as well, I presume, the Stanley Parable. I have not. Uh, my wife has, what? and had had a lot of laughs to show for it. Oh. I have been meaning to play it for some time. So, so, so you have not played the Stanley Parable yet. No, I have been meaning to. Well, I'm aware of it. That is, but I've been trying not to spoil anything for myself. It's so. not a long game, so um, I'm going to give you homework. <laughs> I'm going to give you homework. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's right. Uncle Silver's putting his teacher hat on again. <laughs> you should definitely give it a shot. Like, even, you know, just play tonight. Once we're done recording, just start it up. Boot it up. Play it for half an hour, an hour. You're going to have a great time. I don't, well, if, if you haven't played it, I'm not going to spoil it, of course. But the Stanley Parable is basically not much more than you running around on a, shall I say, fixed set environment so it's a first person game but the twist is what you are doing is constantly being narrated by the narrator character by you know the narrator quote unquote yeah um so the game starts off with you stanley in a cubicle and then you can roam around the office but it's basically a comedy act where you are the butt of the joke. In a way, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was the impression that I got. So if you're incredibly self-conscious, this might actually help you relax. <laughs> <laughs> it's re- it's a really funny game. As you roam around, um, there's all kinds of different endings to the game. So at a certain point, your stroll through the office ends and the game starts over. And then you can go do another thing, you know, open another door, go to another office. I'm, I don't want to spoil too much. So just, you know, you want to run around and explore and certain events will occur. Sometimes the office that you remember may not be just quite the same as the previous run. So you will, bum, bum, you, bum. will you will notice things change between you starting over from your cubicle um oh my gosh man it's that's such a huge spoiler it's such a massive spoiler it's it's not it's you would you mean things can change you totally my god yeah i know you totally wouldn't have noticed (laughs) um but yeah go give it a shot it's a it's a bloody excellent game it's not too long to beat uh although if you want to see everything that the game has to offer it's gonna take you like I'm going to say about 10 hours or so. Um, right, okay. Probably slightly less. Um, 
but you will see most of what the game has to offer between like five and 10 hours, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is a bit of a classic. I don't think this is, uh, this is a very demanding game at all. You can run it on basically any toaster nowadays. So um, it is one of the first walking simulators, which means there's not much of gameplay in there, but it's the narrative element that counts. And of course, the humor and the creativity that was put into the game is uh, is really good. So um, go give it a shot if you haven't already. And of course, if you don't like games without gameplay, my warning, of course, stands. Don't touch that game if that's not your <laughs> yeah. thing. But oh, yeah. No, it's it's not it's not really much of a you know pew pew explosion game, really, is it? One particular thing to note about the Stanley Parable is there's a demo for the game, and the demo is totally different. <laughs> okay. Now, um, when I say totally different, I mean the demo plays like the full game, right? But it doesn't spoil anything. None of the content in the demo is the same as the content in the full game. So you're basically playing a, a, like a, a short spin-off to give you an idea of what the game is like. So even if you've played the full game, you should try the demo. Okay. <laughs> it's fun. That's it's fun. fair they're enough. <laughs> they're both fun. So there you go. Interesting. If anything, if anything, go play the demo. Just go play the demo after we're done recording and then... Yeah, you can decide on okay. whether you want to play. Well, like that. I said, I've been meaning to play it for some time. I just I've been really busy recently, and I haven't found time to play much of anything. Truth be told, um, and when I've been playing other things, I've been very diligently doing my dailies, and then just found myself kind of feeling like, well, I've been going to the gym a lot recently, and I feel like I'm coming home and mentally going to the gym, but without any of the benefits. So yeah, I don't know. I've been a little burned out. <laughs> Okay, so we've talked about Stanley Parable. Let's talk about one that we've both played, which is Dear Esther. Um, have we both played this one? No, I did not play it. Ah, okay. So I listed this. Okay, so Dear Esther is a classic walking simulator in the sense that you start off at a point on an island. You begin walking around. You discover random clues and signs and various other things. It's a little bit like um, Mist or more recently from the same people, Abduction. Um, you basically just wander and you find things and then you get cutscenes here and there and you hear narration and various other things. The cool thing about Dear Esther is that the environments are absolutely breathtaking. And in the beginning, they are mostly completely normal. But as you begin playing through the game, they start to become less and less normal and more and more eccentric. This is not really a spoiler, but you get all these bits and pieces of story and narration and as you kind of progress through the game, you're constantly wondering, if you're anything like me, you're constantly wondering, what does this all mean? And you're trying to piece everything together, and I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I will give you a warning that if you like a straightforward story, this is not that. This is what you would call food for thought. So, and it's not the kind of food for thought, like the meaning of life, or it's more just like, oh, that's... Okay, that's interesting. It's going to make you hmm. think a bit. Yeah. It's yeah, but not in a not in an existential kind of way, more like if you're interested in games and you're interested in taking a step back from the experience that you feel at a gut level and really analyzing that with your head. They've made a lot of interesting decisions here. Sounds a, a little bit like Dear Esther's is, you know, slightly artsy. 
Like, yes. There's a, a an art like uh component to it. Yeah. I would say I would say it's a it's a game that a lot of people probably will not appreciate. So I would recommend if you're not overly concerned with spoilers, definitely go and check it out and see if it's worth your time. Um, if you can get it on sale for maybe like less than five euros or something, then yeah, yeah. I would say it's worth jumping in and checking it out. Um, it's but probably I, not I even that expensive anymore nowadays because yeah. Dear Esther is not a recent game, just no. like the Stanley Parable. Indeed, indeed. But I definitely would not. I would not pay more than ten euros for it because I think you'd be risking disappointment. So, yeah, Dear Esther is ten euros. Yeah, I even so at that price, you. I think it would dissatisfy a lot of people. So yeah, yeah I would I would just just a word to the wise. It's interesting. Yeah, from one of those perspectives, like you need to be ready to appreciate something unusual. Mm. Um, and if you're not in that mood or you're not that kind of player, don't touch it with a barge pole. <laughs> yeah. Again, the usual disclaimer for story like games. Absolutely, absolutely. But speaking of story. We can get into yeah. our next kind of subgenre, which is the interactive movie. So we were talking about Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human. Um, you've written down most most Quantic Dream games. Most most Quantic Dream games, yes. I think Fahrenheit falls into that category as well. Yes, Fahrenheit does. Um, and then Life is Strange, the episodic. I'm not sure if that is all finished yet. I played the first episode of Life is Strange. My wife really enjoyed it. Uh, there's a there's a second season coming, I think. Ah, right. So okay. Life is Strange two, and I know there's a spinoff as well. It's uh, mm -hmm. the franchise is doing well as far as I uh, yeah. understand. Yeah. So Life is Strange is kind of an interesting one because it's almost like interactive movie meets, I want to say, really old school Prince of Persia, where you have the sands of time and you can rewind yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can have multiple chances to do the same thing over again and make sure that everything is going to happen the way that you want it to. Now that doesn't protect you from making a choice and then having to deal with the consequences. It's just that each choice you have the option to see the immediate, like next five seconds kind of results of your action, which I think is kind of a cool way of, of doing that. Because if you, you know, do X action and it immediately does not go the way you wanted it to, you don't have the syndrome that you have in some games where, you know, you pick the speech option and you're like, wait, that's not what I thought that was. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I got that a lot in, um, what was it now? I want to say Human Revolution, Deus Ex, where oh, you, yeah. you would pick the empathize option or the sympathize option. And you were like, what the, what? like, I know what the definitions of these are. I can Google that. But like, what is that going to mean? <laughs> like, Yeah, that reminds me of the, or, you know, sometimes um, the, the game gives you options and you're they're all kind of the same yeah in, exactly. in the way that fallout 4 has like four options but you're just saying the same thing for in like four different ways yeah exactly so. and, and well and then there's always like the crazy option like you know attack <laughs> it's basically yeah. like yeah okay fine. Oh, yeah. oh yeah we need to talk about that um <laughs> but anyway so that's that's pretty much life is strange uh, you can't talk too much about it without spoiling it uh it's the story of a girl who takes photos and discovers that she has a strange power to rewind time among other things but the story progresses from there and it is very very heavy on story rather than mechanics so the only thing i would warn you about with life is strange is get ready for hunting down a lot of details and having to remember them yourself yes and also get ready for some teenage angst no really 
a game with a protagonist that's a hipster photographer is going to have teenage angst? I never would have thought. But anyway. Uh, by the way, I have not played this game, so just this, I'm just saying what I've heard. Anyway. Yeah, teenage <laughs> angst. No, but seriously. Teen- definitely, it, it, yeah. it is full She's of a high schooler, right? Yeah, I, yeah, she is. And there are, there are a lot of kind of sad character tropes in there. I don't even feel that's a spoiler. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, that's just life. Yeah. Well, life is strange after all. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. That's right. It's uh, life imitating art, art imitating life. Wait, what? Anyway, so. When you look at interactive movies, I would also definitely mention uh, the Telltale games. Yes. Some of those are quite interesting. Like uh, The Wolf Among Us, like uh, The Walking Dead, um, even the Game of Thrones spinoff that they did. Uh, they've done batman now like i've i've played a few um i've played the wolf among us and i've played uh, the walking dead and i've played the game of thrones spinoff but i know some of the more recent games once you once you've played enough of those they start to feel a little bit too similar and i mm-hmm. know you know they're fun but um yeah they all have that kind of it's a feel that is consistent to the point of eventually getting a little bit samey yeah, I had enough of the uh, Telltale games after completing uh, the Game of Thrones one. And I I, ha- I strained myself basically playing that game uh, because I wanted to quit it, you know, soon <laughs> or sooner. Uh, yeah, okay. But I said, you know, it, it's a story. I have to finish it. Mm-hmm. So I did. And I was glad that I did. But um, at times there there were moments when I thought, man, this is so freaking like typical Telltale <laughs> um, you felt like you were hearing the same story over again. Well, not just that, but one of the biggest problems that Telltale games have is they seem to give you lots of choices that are going to make a difference. And during a certain portion of the game, they they do make a difference. But then in the end, everybody kind of gets a similar ending or the samey ending. So your choices oh, do yeah. make a difference, but they only do while the story's pro- progressing. So it's not like you can get a totally different ending, right? right Based on right, the right. Uh, decisions you made. So why why do you find that frustrating? Well. Because you feel like it's not totally divergent, depending on your decisions yeah, or. Yeah, it just feels like you're taking a, a side road to to the same destination. So, so then do you feel like, do you, does it still feel fulfilling to you, say the first time that you play the game and complete it? Yeah you feel like you've had a real impact. And then the second time you play it and you're like, oh, this is a bit of a cop-out. Is that pretty much how it works? Or I would say that's a, yeah, it, it, it discourages replaying the game. Yeah, okay. It it doesn't make me feel like, oh, now I got to go and, and, you know, play through the story again to see what happens because I know, you know, some kind of variation of the ending is going uh, to happen again, right? It feels like it leaves you in that kind of, or from what you're saying, I'm getting the impression it leaves you in that kind of limbo where you want to see what all the options are, but you're not convinced that it's going to be different enough that you'll really be happy you spent the time at the end. Yes. But then you have the curiosity constantly goading you onwards and you're just like, Arr. yeah, you're left wrestling with it. Yeah. And okay. some, some changes uh, also, you know, some stuff, some decisions seem to make a difference or you think are going to make a difference and then end up making absolutely no difference whatsoever, which feels <laughs> okay. like a cop-out sometimes. Yeah. But that brings me flawlessly to Detroit Become Human. Okay. Awesome. Because that game does not have those problems. Spoiler alert. Your decisions matter. <laughs> yeah, they do. So, Detroit Become Human, like most uh, other Quantic Dream games, feature 
very tough and rough themes. So child abuse is one of them. If you are sensitive to, you know, violence, uh, discrimination, you know, abuse, this is the kind of stuff that gets tackled in these games. But you use the word you use the word tackled. So do you feel that it's it's glorified or is it more like no, no. The question of what what would you do if you were in this situation? Yes. So I want to talk about the first scene in the game. When you when you buy the game or when you play the demo, you you go and play the first scene of the game basically. So if you don't know if you would be interested in this game, uh, it's it's on PlayStation, and there's a demo for it. So what you can do is you can go to the PlayStation Store and play the demo, and then you have played the first level of the game. If you think it's something that you enjoyed, like I did, I played the demo, I thought, man, this is good. And then I saw that it was, this was in April, I think, after beating God of War. I, I saw the demo and I was like, okay, let's give this this a shot. It's coming out soon. And then I was I was really impressed by the demo. So what happens is... You are an android. You play as three different androids throughout the game, but the first scene is you playing as the android called Connor. You are an investigative android. So you're an, an, an investigator for the uh, company that created you, the android. The company is called CyberLife, and they have manufactured all these androids that are occupying, uh, well, occupying, working in uh, Detroit. Um, and you are an android sent to investigate uh, deviancy. So what's happening is there's these androids and they are starting to show emotions. So these robots that are supposed to be, uh, you know, just machines are starting to have emotions. So when this robot uh, that you are investigating was going to be replaced, he killed a person and when you arrive at the scene to do a hostage negotiation, because what happened is this robot slash android actually has a hostage, and that's a little girl. Right. And he's standing at the edge of a building. The FBI is fully in position, but they can't go and take the android down because if they try to take him down, he will just fall off of the building. So it's your task as the android investigator to reach this girl, and to save her. But you also need to find out what went wrong with this particular android. So... So wait, what what went wrong to result in this situation? To result in this situation. Right, what okay. went wrong that led to this android becoming a deviant? So you have to figure that out. If you do, once you go outside for the actual hostage negotiation, there's more options available for you to choose uh, when you are voicing uh, your thoughts on the situation. So you can you can come out of the uh, crime scene onto this rooftop where this android is standing and you can just walk out with no information and then the main character will be like, I don't know your name uh, and you're going to try to talk this robot down that way. But that's going to be much more difficult because if you've done your research, you know what the guy's name is, you know um, kind of what happened. So you can say, I know, I understand what happened. You're going to be replaced. So there's different approaches. 
Okay, so it's it's fairly typical as a, an emotionally invested kind of social simulation type um, walking simulator or interactive movie. But one of my questions is, is there a cost to you obtaining this information or is it just as much as you want to do? Like, well, for example, is time progressing while you do this? Yes. So right, okay. when you arrive on the scene, uh, one of the first things you see is uh, time is there's a limited time basically that you have. So you can investigate and at a certain time, uh, the FBI on, on the scene uh, who are there with you will just force you outside because uh, more of their agents are getting shot. So they're like taking cover behind, um, you know, inside, but the, the androids shooting at them every now and again, and more people are getting injured. So if you take too long investigating or just running around, um, they will actually kick you out and force you to go deal with the Android, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can just try to figure out everything. So there's a kind of a soft time limit there. Okay. Well, it sounds and more then, like a hard time limit, really, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it kind of is. But once you go outside, of course, you have to negotiate with the Android. But there's a bunch of options that will lead to different results. And there's a bunch of things you can do during this chapter that influence later chapters. So overall, the big events that occur in each chapter obviously have an impact on the rest of the story. So at any given time, any of the characters that you control can die. Okay. So there's a, a basically a death opportunity for each character in every chapter. If you fuck up, that character's dead. And if they're dead, there'll be no more chapters with them. And the only exception is Connor because Connor is the investigative android sent by Cyberlife. So when he dies, they just send a new Connor. <laughs> a yeah, new that's Connor. what happens. Yeah, nice. A new Connor. That's what happens. Um, the other characters, unfortunately, are not so lucky. So when they die, that's the end of their story. Mm -hmm. So your, your Detroit Become Human experience can be 12 hours long. And if you get your characters killed, it can be six hours long, right? So it depends. Wow. Okay. But the fun part about Detroit Become Human is that, that it does not have the problems that the typical uh, Telltale games have that I okay. mentioned before. Ah, so, so the outcomes are very different then. Yes. But the most important thing perhaps, and this is something that they did to increase kind of the visibility of, you know, making sure that people can see that different choices of different outcomes is after the first scene, after the first chapter of the game, there's multiple outcomes, of course, to this scene where you do the hostage negotiation. Um, of course, you can fail. So maybe you got shot by the guy who has the hostage. Maybe the hostage got shot, but he fell off the roof with the girl. Maybe you were able to save the girl. Um, you know, all these different outcomes. And when you complete the mission, you get shown a flow chart that shows all the different decisions you made up until the point to the end of the chapter. But it also shows you, of course, all the options that you did not take. Now, they're, of course, grayed out, so you don't know what's there, but you know, oh man, there's tons of different decisions I could have made that would have led to a totally different ending to this particular chapter. So let's say that the first chapter is about, I want to say 20 minutes long. If this is the first time you're playing through it, it's going to take you about 20 minutes to beat. You got to collect all the evidence, you have to get through the negotiation, and then the chapter ends. 
with a particular outcome. But if you want to play all the outcomes, you need to replay through that section five or six times. Additionally, not just the big events. So it's not just the end of that scene that has an impact on the rest of the story. There's also some things you could do during the chapter that has an influence on other events up to, you know, maybe even much later in the game. So no good deed go goes uh, unrewarded, basically, in this game. Well, some do, but, you know, um, if you do so certain things, you might find that they end up helping you later on. So there's a bunch of deaths in the game that you can actually avoid by doing, you know, the good thing. Right. That's really cool. Um, and then, of course, the other uh, element that I liked a lot about this game is that each chapter has many different endings and the endings all change the course of the game dramatically. So by the time you're at the halfway point in the game, you've made such significant, you know, decisions that unless you've all been picking, you know, the same popular options, you know, people will slip up sometimes during a quick time event that can lead to a totally different storyline. Um, sometimes you just make a totally different decision. Like, am I going to spare this person or am I going to kill him or whatever? Right, okay. And that's going to have a massive uh, influence. But even so relatively a, small random things like messing up a quick time event can change the course of the story. Can change, a, yeah, and dramatically so. So I want to say like the last half of the game can be, there's like three or four totally different approaches, to different combinations for those uh, really? okay. characters. That sounds yeah. great. So wait, this is, a, this is an exclusive right now, isn't it? It is. It is, an, uh, is a PlayStation exclusive. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. I really wish that more of these story games would come out on PC. Yeah, I have to say, and I've said it before, PlayStation has a good lineup of exclusive single-player games. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, the Xbox has really been getting slated for this recently, but Microsoft has just oh, announced yeah. at E3 um, the weekend before <coughs> the making of this video that they've been releasing, uh, or they're planning to release, I should say, a whole bunch of new games. They've got a whole bunch of stuff in development, so... Mm. I've heard uh, very positive things about the upcoming range of, of games for the Xbox. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully that will not yeah, remain PlayStation territory for long. Yeah, well, the thing about uh, the Xbox game specifically is that Microsoft, of course, also has the Windows Store and the Xbox uh, kind of section on Windows as well. So they will also make some of those games, not all of them. I know Halo is an exclusive on, on Xbox, on the console, of course. But most of those uh, games are actually going to be available on PC as well. Like uh, Forza Horizon 4 has been announced. It's set in the UK, I believe. Um, yeah, and that will be available on PC. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, you know, this is basically interactive movies. So you could technically watch a playthrough. And uh, it, it, would, it will probably not be not that much different. Uh, it's just that you're not making the decisions actively, of course. Yeah, I think that would ruin um, it for me, though. Uh, one one quick thing yeah. I did want to touch on, though. I mean, you said uh, to definitely check this out if you've got the opportunity uh, or the, you know, if you have a PS4 or whatever. Um, yeah. And you've said it was wonderful. I want to stress that neither of us thinks that any kind of violence or any of that is wonderful. It's more just oh, being, no, able, being able to engage with this material and really, really question yourself about what decisions you would make if it was you in the hot seat, I think is really what we're talking about here yes. um, so, because hopefully hopefully we will never be in this situation outside of media um, but it's an interesting question or conundrum to wrestle with nonetheless 
so you basically have the introduction scene with Connor. He's the detective. Then you have Kara, the uh, house android. Um, so the, her introduction is basically you ha you have to go around the house and clean stuff up for uh, your new owner. And then the other protagonist is Marcus. And Marcus is an android in service of a rich painter. Right. Okay. And the first mission that you perform with him is you have to go to the city to collect a jar of paint. Interesting. Yes. So you might think, <laughs> Jesus, what a what a start of a game. And it's it really shows off kind of how, you know, what the kind of menial tasks are that these androids are given. And then you have the opportunity to have them act as humans. And that's kind of what the story is about. Uh, what decisions do they make when certain things occur? Like, for example, when a girl gets abused. What happens when there's conflict in a family between the rich father and the son who is not really spending his money correctly? What happens um, when the detective starts dealing with deviants who seem to be getting emotional and then you have start to have a partner you have to work together with a, a human partner and then you know yeah. are you going to get invested emotionally in in your partner or not you know those are the decisions you have to start making so you, yeah. you're gonna as you proceed through the story you have to decide a bunch of things and you yeah at the yeah. end of the game you're, you're you you know it's it's beautiful because there's so many different endings to that game it's uh it's pretty impressive i'm i'm seriously impressed by just how different everything is mm -hmm. just yeah, you I know, think, some of the small decisions that can make such a difference. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really interesting thought exercise from, from many perspectives, because the great thing about these kinds of difficult issues in fictional media is that you can deal with some very big, very heavy material that if it was in your real life would be incredibly difficult. And this gives you the opportunity to just sit down and think about it yeah. and not have the pressure of that, that looming, consequence that will eventually happen you just have to choose what to do and so on and yes. so forth and i think that's that's one of the things that really makes it great we've talked about this in video games in general it's great because you can experience things that you know are never in real life and so on you you empathize with these characters a lot and uh that is a net positive you don't have to go through actual abuse or you have you know you you don't have to be confronted with there's a lot of different issues, by the way, that you have to confront as you proceed through this story. So um, I know this might also help people who haven't been through these things empathize with people who have. Would you would you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's definitely some, um, you know, some lines that you can just straight up uh, draw to reality. Like some of this stuff is, uh, you know, recent, important, uh, you know, yeah, sure, these these are, this is a story about androids, um, about what it means to be human. You know, that's what the title says. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> the situations yeah. that I mentioned at the beginning are just how this, how the characters start out. I don't think those are spoilers, uh, in a very big way, but you will be, if you think that's, that's gonna, that sounds rough, you should see the, the rest of this game. This is some heavy material sometimes, but I think that's what makes it really unique, really powerful. And uh, I think people should play this game so that they can, you know, experience this wide range of emotions. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting game. Like, I know some people will say, this is not a game. Or some people will say, you know, it's just a story. It's a stupid story. You know, I could have written a better story. 
But, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's people out there who will say that. And uh, yes, sure, you know, some of the foreshadowing is obvious. Some of it is not. Some of it is great. You know, you could say, you know, this could should have received or could have received some more love. But overall, I would say this is a fantastic experience. Um, just to, you know, to, to it's, it's like a... A, a, a small movie series or like a series on television TV show that you can watch uh, in in video game form but instead of it having a fixed outcome there's a lot of different outcomes and you can explore and experience all of them it's really good great uh, oh one more thing I wanted to add about the flowchart is once you're done with the game or with a particular level you can actually go back and start from a particular checkpoint so you can go back and replay uh, the scene you just played if you don't like the outcome of the game. But people do recommend going through the game at least once, and then you can go and just change everything. That's cool. That's cool. All right, man. Well, I really feel like we've touched on everything that we wanted to talk about today. We've covered the roguelike, the platformer, action-adventure, and the story-like genres. Um, I feel like we've gone through anything. Was there anything else that you wanted to add about any of these, or shall we I sign think, off? I think we can sign off with that. Okay, that's great. So thanks, as always, for joining us. And uh, we both really appreciate everyone who comes and listens to the podcast. We hope you had a great time and got some interesting food for thought on this episode, uh, talking about kind of the last few things. And I think this will actually be the end of our What We Love About Video Games series. So we hope that you have enjoyed the whole series. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode in particular. Thanks, as always, for listening. And wherever you are in the world, we both want to wish you a good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And good night. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>